0: The book of Proverbs, chapter 4, I'll begin reading. In verse 1, I'll read to verse 19, and I want you to think of what a righteous and good inheritance wisdom is as it is passed down, not only from father to son, but here we find another person speaking, and that is a grandfather. Proverbs chapter 4, I begin reading in verse 1. I'll read to verse 19. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let's Hear the words of the grandfather. Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory... She will deliver to you. Hear my son, receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom, I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble." This far, the reading of God's Word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, our longing is that you might give us from your Word wisdom and understanding, that we might live lives that are not unprofitable or wasted, but that we would take opportunity as it is given. Lord, every moment of our lives might be used in service and honor of you in the small acts of obedience, in the large acts of obedience, whatever it may be, whatever you call us to, may we see that you have given to each of us a purpose and may we run this race well. For your honor and glory we pray in the name of Christ who is our Lord. Amen. We sang just a moment ago from Psalm 17 as it's written in our Psalter hymnal, verse 7, you, this is the Lord, Fill their life with treasure. Their sons are satisfied. They leave their young the fortune which they have set aside. But I, in vindication, your face will surely see. When waking to your likeness, I satisfied will be. How is beholding Christ face to face, how does that become the satisfaction of all of our longings? Well, you have to long for him here. How do you learn that? Well, I once heard a pastor uh, give an answer to the question of why he was a Christian. He said, well, because my mom used to spank me. (laughs) He was raised in a Christian home. It was an inheritance that was given to him by faithful parents. Now, what he is not saying is that regeneration is the work of faithful parents, but faithfulness comes about through means which God has established. It is a treasure. And it is a treasure that is passed on. I remember that treasure, as my father spoke of it when I was a child, and I did not understand the true value of it, things which I find myself echoing as a father today. I remember time and time again my dad would say, if you are faithful in the little things, God will give you bigger things. And I thought... I know you're just telling me to clean my room. I know what that's code for. Quiet time and exercise. Quiet time and, okay, I get it, I get it. I know what you're trying to hammer home, but what I did not realize is what I could have been missing or other things my father could have been teaching me. What he was passing down to me was truly a legacy of righteousness, Expressed in terms that spoke to him. And I find myself, and you can ask my children these same questions What does your dad hammer home? Well, when you wake up in the morning, you get to work. You feed the dogs first, then you feed yourself. You empty the dishwasher, you empty the drying rack, all of these things. In fact, we call these things in our home contributions. <laughs> And everybody knows what they really are. But what are we endeavoring to do? We are endeavoring to pass down a legacy of obedient joy. And in fact, righteous parents and righteous grandparents have a treasure that they possess that their children and grandchildren can lay hold of prior to the reading of their will. And what is it? It is that family heirloom that is wisdom, that priceless treasure. And so as the, well, Solomon here, writing in Proverbs chapter 4, gets to the heart of what this whole book is about, get wisdom, it is put in the mouth of the father speaking for the grandfather. This is what he learned, and this is what we are to learn. And it doesn't change from one generation to the next. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is the same. And though it may at times wear us thin because we do like to go oftentimes the wrong way, we are tempted and tried and sometimes failing, the same refrain continues. Son, grandson, great-grandson, Get wisdom. Oh, Dad. (laughs) But it's the same. And so I want to look at two things this evening. Number one, a grandfather's instruction. And number two, the way you should avoid. Now, one of the ways in which we inherit a great treasure, especially as a church, are the creeds and confessions that are handed down to us. In fact, you'll find in the back of your Psalter hymnal... I guess I should say the church's Psalter hymnals. Leave them here. If you want a copy, order one. Take it home. And what you have is this entire repository of worship material and also the creeds and confessions of the um, Scottish um, confession – Branch of Presbyterianism that came from England and Scotland uh, and then also the Dutch Reformed tradition that's handed down to us through the URC because we had a joint publication of this uh, and you have the three forms of unity. All of those things are handed down to us as rich treasure. Uh, and they are time-tested. What do they say? Time-tested, mother-approved. <laughs> they are time-tested and they are approved through The years by which they have shown themselves to be faithful and true. Expressions of biblical doctrine. And you would be an utter fool to say, you know what, I think I can do better. Well, maybe you can, but you cannot do better by abandoning the rich and glorious history that is passed down to us. In the same way, as we look at what Solomon is writing, he is speaking to his son, in essence, and he is speaking to his son of his life in his father's home, David. And he is saying, these are the things I heard. I can think of the things that my father said to me, and I could tell that they came from the mouth of my grandfather. Things of familial responsibility. Some of them good. Some of them felt a little harsh. You know, they're old. Sayings. Sayings of a generation that is, in many ways, long past statements of duty to one's family, of sacrifice, of discipline. And when you are young, you hear those things, and they are not nearly as appealing to you as when you get older. And so here, the grandfather is not just speaking to a son, but sons. We read, hear my children. And the father is not only speaking to one, but to the generations that are born from a faithful father's father. Give attention. I want you to listen. And this is essentially what is being taught. Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning in verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children... Speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. When families do this, when they are agreed upon as to what is the family's greatest treasure... What is their most precious possession? And I don't necessarily mean the family Bible. A family Bible is no good if it sits on the shelf and it's never opened, is it? It doesn't radiate wisdom when the cover is closed. What must happen? You open it and you speak of it. You talk about it when you lie down. You talk about it when you get up. You talk about it in the car when you're going to church or when you're going to Walmart. In fact, there's a wonderful little volume downstairs on our bookshelf in which every moment of our lives can be baptized, as it were, if I can use that term loosely, in prayer and understanding as to how we are to live in the world that God has made. In fact, there's a little prayer there, every moment holy, that you can pray before you consume television. What? Everything we are to do is to be done is in an effort to exercise our God-given calling to be righteous. I wonder how many things we would not be watching if we prayed, Lord, give us wisdom. In fact, there are times when my wife and I are trying to choose a TV show, and it's, well, if it's published after this year, how woke is it going to be? And let me tell you this. The Brits are way ahead of the Americans when it comes to that stuff. We've been surprised. And you go, come on. On. And here's the issue. There are a lot of competing voices outside of our homes mm. that are not neutral and they're not passive. And they are in direct competition for the hearts of your family. And the greatest gift that a grandfather, a father can give is an awareness ...of these competing ideologies... ...and the way in which they move, especially a child... ...in relationship to how they perceive themselves... ...as being made by God and as being made for God. An economist of sorts by the name of Richard Hovey writes... "...and you prate of the wealth of nations... That is, you talk about the wealth of nations as if it were bought and sold. The wealth of nations is men, not silk and cotton and gold. Now, here's how I would improve that quote. It's easy to do that, right? I would say, And you prayed of the wealth of nations as if it were bought and sold. The wealth of nations is the rightly ordered souls of men not silk and cotton and gold. Now, where are our souls primarily rightly ordered? Well, in our homes. And it falls especially upon fathers and grandfathers, mothers and grandmothers, those principal stewards of the souls of the young to show them the appeal of gaining wisdom. And let me tell you this. What is ironic about the youth of every generation is they think that their parents were not at one point their age and did not struggle with the same things that they struggled with. Let me tell you, being a youth in the 80s was no different than being a youth in the 2020s. The same temptations are out there, and maybe easier access to some of those things, which is far more dangerous. But the siren song to enter into the way of the world remains, and it is not neutral In fact, we've seen this already from the book of Proverbs. There are those that lie outside of the church, outside of the righteous counsel of parents, outside of the righteous counsel of pastors and elders. And what they're endeavoring to do is draw you away from that community of saints, that safe harbor of righteousness, and go away. You should not go. If it is not enough to have the stamp of approval from your fathers and your mothers, perhaps, maybe, it would hold greater weight to see that in the same way, this treasure of wisdom is highly valued by those generations that have come before. Now, this morning I talked about that a little bit uh, in the baptism of my granddaughter, and I spoke of the value of a name. And I remember, again, as a child, my father would say to me, you ought not to do those things in public that would bring dishonor and shame upon the name of your family. There's a lot writing on this. That all persons, whether you like it or not, are public persons. And that wisdom itself not only guards the reputation of the young and helps preserve a good name, But it is also that most valuable treasure that belongs to a family itself. Whether it's Fowler or some other surname, that name is important. It is to be protected. In the same way when Moses, I'm not equating myself with Moses. Don't hear me say that as I juxtapose these two illustrations. Moses was called to speak to the rock. Now remember at one point he was told to strike the rock. And he did that. He obeyed. The second time, he was not told to strike the rock. He was told to speak to it. And the reason why God called him to speak to it was to show God's gentleness at that time. Well, Moses was angry with Israel, and you can imagine why. He's a pastor of 1.6 million people. Eat your heart out, Steve Furtick. (laughs) Let me tell you this. That's not a good position to necessarily be in. And he was so fed up with the whining of Israel. Think, you're driving to vacation, right? And you're sitting in the front seat, and you're there. Your hands are on the wheel, and your kids are in the back, and you're just going, oh, my goodness. If I hear one more complaint about the meal that my wife packed or how long it's taking to get to the destination. Now, think of it this way. There's 1.6 million kids in the back. Moses was an incredibly humble, righteous man, but he had had enough. And when he hit that rock in anger, God condemned him to death prior to his entry into the promised land. And this is why God said it. You did not revere my name before Israel. You failed to honor me. There was a time when God is harsh, and there was a time when God is soft, And if we obscure the character of God in our parenting or grandparenting, what ends up happening? We obscure the path of righteousness. We obscure the path of mercy. We are not Christ-like in our parenting or in our teaching. And so the grandfather says here through verses 1 through 9, listen to me, children. There is nothing more valuable in this world than that which we as a family prize most highly. What is it? It is that very thing that will honor you, that will promote you, that will embrace you, that will um, adorn you with grace, that will shower you with peace, that will give you a long life, that will preserve you. Get wisdom. Because you may say, what is it? What has grandfather left me in the will? And what is it? All of the instruction that comes to you by your parents. Oh man, really? That's it? No, it's, it's glorious. In fact, if you have wisdom, you are indeed most wealthy. It is the great treasure of every home. And here is the rub then of this priceless treasure. Listen, sometimes Proverbs is just so practical that you go, that's it, that's it. It is imminently practical. And so the father continues upon what the grandfather began in verse 1. Look at verse 10. And this is my second point, the way you should avoid. Oftentimes the writer speaks in the negative. Hear, my son, receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble take firm hold of instruction do not let it go for her, keep her for her she is your life now again the father the grandfather they know how to make wisdom appealing they speak of her in personal terms what we call anthropomorphic language that's a fancy word that just means attributing to an idea or something that is not human, human characteristics in order to draw you in to want it more and to be able to access it and understand it better. When we read of the arm of the Lord, the Lord doesn't have an arm. But what does he have? He has providence that does his will for him. His decrees are accomplished by all his holy power. And so we speak of his power we speak of, his, speak of his eyes. The Bible writes of his eyes being upon the righteous, his careful superintendence. And in the same way, wisdom is spoken in a way that is appealing. She is beautiful. Well, who doesn't want something that is beautiful? Keep her, don't let her go. And so then, here is the clear instruction verse 14 through 17. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. It's a very simple exhortation that we have seen again and again. The reason why it is repeated, well, there are many reasons. One of the reasons why it is repeated is because we often forget. Another reason why it is always repeated or often repeated is because in our lives we often come to many forks in the road as it regards decisions. How many times are you tempted in a day to walk in folly and wisdom? Which way are you going to go? How many times in a day are you going to be tempted to lose your temper? To think something you ought not think? To take something that does not belong to you? How often? A lot. I don't think you can exaggerate the number of times. And so when we come to passages like this, I don't think we need to say, oh, he's already said that. There's a reason, and I've spoken of the reason for repetition. We're slow to learn, and we're quick to go down the wrong path. And what we need to see is that as we come to that fork in the road that is the way of wisdom or light, the way of folly or darkness and death, we need to know what lies at the end of both of those roads so that we are not deceived by what they look like at the beginning. What I mean by that is this. The father is peeling back from the eyes of the son the blinders of the enticement of wickedness. And so when wickedness comes to you, it doesn't come to you like the hideous witch with the warty nose and the long fingers and the gross nails. And she says, come with me. And you go, "Uh, no, thank you. I'm good smoking kills, right? That kind of thing. No, she comes to you, and in the Proverbs what do we see? She's beautiful. She has a beautiful song. She's a siren. And you go, what is that noise? It's lovely. And then you begin to hear the content. Oh, I don't know if those lyrics, speaking metaphorically here, coincide with the call to holiness, but It's still, it's so, and it sounds a lot like Lady Wisdom. It's beautiful. And what the father is trying to do is get the son to see that just because she is beautiful superficially, she is inside, both her soul and inside her house, an empty and open grave. And so he says, listen, Wear these things, this instruction booklet around your neck and within your heart. Do not be led astray. Have the little decoder glasses of wisdom and folly. So that when someone says, hey, let's do this, that little thing goes ding, ding, ding. Oh, wait, this, is, this looks a lot like stupidity. And I know what happens to my soul at the end of this road. If I walk this way, I will walk into an open pit. But if I walk in righteousness, as we see in verses 10 through 13, not only will we be led in the way of wisdom, in right paths, but we will be protected. There is no protection for the wicked. None. Whatsoever. In fact, all the devil wants to do is destroy you. And so... What it creates when you walk in this way of folly and wickedness is an insatiable appetite for more wickedness and a greater number of participants to assure you that you're actually okay. It's Romans chapter 1. It's where we're living right now. This is why people get canceled. People get canceled because they're telling the truth about where wickedness leads and the people who are on the path don't want to be told they're walking in the wrong way. They want to be able to do this. No, 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 I don't want to hear it. And when someone says, guys, you're going the wrong direction, (laughs) you know, it's a lashing out. How dare you tell me this? Well, how great can their way of life be if their only way of survival is to destroy those who are trying to speak some word of wisdom to them? See, this is the beauty of a life of righteousness. When you are on the path that God has for you, and when I say has for you, I don't mean this sort of existential path, right? That's just revealed. When you walk in righteousness, if you are obedient to the will of God, if you are doing your dead level best to keep God's word, to keep the Ten Commandments, to love your neighbor, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it doesn't matter what men say about you. In fact, the confirmation that you're going in the right direction is that people will say, Yeah, that guy's weird. I don't know about him. And the Father is saying, at the the point where a decision can be made, remember your grandfather's words. Remember my words. Remember each of these paths and where they lead. And what they are, in verses 18 through 19 are paths of light and dark. That, that means is, one is a path laid by Christ, trodden by Christ first. And we follow him in it. He is our guide. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. It is a path of sanctification. And it ends in what? Well, what we just saying. When we behold Christ face to face, we will become like him. That is the end of wisdom. Wisdom gets you into the city of God. Because it beholds Christ, it receives him as Savior. And what it flowers and blossoms into is a life of devotion to him. Because this is so simple. The reason why it is difficult is because even though we see at the end of the path of wisdom... An eternal inheritance that outshines the sun, it feels to our hearts like it is far more distant than the pleasure of wickedness. Right now, right? I want it now. But what do we see of that way? Though the wicked promise much, the way of the wicked, verse 19, is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble, they are ignorant. They are fools that even while they are on the path, the very things that are harming them, that they are embracing, they have no clue why it's hurting them. It's like looking at a bottle that says poison and you go, I I don't know what the problem is. I keep drinking this thing that says poison on it and I keep getting, hey you over there, (laughs) right? And then when they do what? In making themselves sick, not knowing why they are sick, they blame those who are shining like the sun. Don't you shine over here. Don't you make me feel bad. I think I'll have some more of this poison. What, why do I feel so bad all the time? Right? It's like a child coming home from gathering a bunch of candy and going, I can't be the candy that's making me sick. I must have a, I must have a virus. No, it's because the junk you've been eating. That is what the wicked are like. They don't even understand. Listen, there was a time where every menial task required you learning how to do it, and I mean every menial task. In our home all afternoon, there was a little infant. She can do nothing. That's one of the things that makes her so precious and cute. She can do nothing. It's also the very thing that goes, I can't, I can't keep taking care of this child. They are so helpless. And it reminds us of our own helplessness. How often does God look at us and go, what are you doing? Put the poison down. Do you not see? And what has he done? He has sent to us the glorious light of his word. And what must we do as families? We must raise this up and say, here is the way. There is no reason, dear saints, why we cannot be, and I mean this, successful in this life in pursuing faithfully the things of Christ and the kingdom. But what we must do first? Choose the better inheritance. Choose the better portion. Go the way that God has instructed us. And so, dear saints, as we endeavor to live faithfully, let us remember these things. Let us listen to what we have heard, what your parents have said, what your pastor has said. And I know at times you hear that and you go, man, how many times am I going to hear it? Well, how many times are you going to not listen? That's the question, isn't it? But God is faithful and God is extraordinarily patient. And what he promises is that God honors repentance Because God finds all of us on the path to darkness in some capacity. You and I were once stumbling and bumbling down the wrong path. And Christ in his mercy by the Spirit rescued us. And what we ought to do then as those who have been rescued, who understand which way leads to which end, is to then honor Christ with our lives as those who have been reconciled and rescued, adopted. No longer slaves to sin, but children of a living God. Let's pray.